Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Nehra. All right. Uh, today's discussion is how to communicate risk and data better. So I'll just give you guys a background about why I decided to host today's discussion is a lot has been going on as far as COVID is concerned. You know, a lot of news comes out uh, as far as vaccines are concerned. A lot of news comes out as, as far as infections are concerned, as far as transmission is concerned. But but we don't know what to make sense out of this, this, you know, the stream of information that is bombarded to us on a daily basis. And then, you know, Ram and I were having a conversation offline and I was like, Ram, this is really frustrating. I'm sick and tired of the way people uh, are communicating and interpreting data. So I think it's time you come on the podcast uh, and uh, enlighten all of us because this is kind of what you do all the time. Your, you know, your background uh, is in behavioral science, and you've been involved in it. And we, anyways, discussed a lot of this in the previous podcast. And Ram was kind enough to say, "Okay, I'll come back on." So, Ram, thanks a lot for coming again. Yep, glad to be here. All right, Ram. So let's lay it down. So, how do you want to start it? So, so obviously, you told me to title this "How to uh, Communicate Risk and Data Better." So. So what do you think are the possible problems when when we try and understand uh, uh, any any particular issue? So we'll use COVID as an analogy because it's kind of very prevalent right now. But we want to keep in mind that this is about, uh, you know, the larger image of how do we look at. So so let me start like this. Right. Ram? I always use this example. So. Uh, whenever we have a conversation, we say on an average, men are taller than women. And then there will be that one person in the room who will come and say, but I know X, Y, Z female who's taller than her you know, husband. It still doesn't change the reality. So Ram, now I you know, hand it over to you. All yours. <laughs> so I think uh, the, the probably one of the basic reasons as to why we are so bad at it is because we are not taught it properly. Uh, for uh, Before I go into all this discussion, uh, just a plug-in for a brilliant guy who does a lot of work in this uh, area called Gerd Gigerinzer. Uh, he's written quite a bit. So if you think of, go back to your school, right? So two of the things that we don't teach properly is how to make sense of numbers, risk, and data. We do a lot of mathematics, calculus, and so on and so forth, but basic numbers, you know, basic statistics, how to read and how to make sense, we don't do a good job. The other thing is uh, money and how to deal with it. And then you have, broadly speaking, two types of actors who are very good at it, and therefore they manipulate it, and rest of us who are not very good at it. In fact, I would say that most, you know, highly paid, highly educated people would be very poor at uh, making sense of data. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally to us. We are very good at like pattern recognition uh, and so on and so forth. So let's take an example uh, beyond COVID, right? So you'll see a, an ad or a newspaper item that says a new cancer drug that is 100% more effective, right? Uh, it sounds great and you start thinking, man, this must be like really effective, right? But then once you start looking at not relative risks, but absolute risks, you'll find that the previous drug saved one in a thousand people, and this new drug says saved two in a thousand people, right? 
So relatively, it's not a great, I mean, it, it is a great drug, but absolutely, it's not a great drug. But I mean, those are the people, as they say, if you torture data, it will confess. So you can torture data in a way and kind of uh, make it confess to whatever uh, that you want, right? And on the other spectrum, like I said, you know, a lot of numbers keep coming our way. And then it's difficult to kind of make sense of it. And therefore, then we start using uh, our emotions or our heuristics to make sense. Like you said, one of the things is uh, proximity effect, right? So what do I see, right? As opposed to what do the numbers tell me? Or recency, right? What happened yesterday as opposed to, you know, what happened uh, uh, a month before. And therefore, our reactions can be uh you know too good uh, in the extreme sometimes and sometimes we don't react at all to numbers right uh, especially when the numbers are very very large if you tell someone you know there are a hundred thousand cases there are a million cases right uh, these big numbers make it very very difficult for us in fact the very good experiments on when they seek donations you know for uh, public causes like say starvation in a particular country there's not like a real difference between saying, you know, 20,000 people are going hungry or 20 million people are going hungry, right? Beyond, there is this kind of a numbing effect. Mm -hmm. And the other bit is in terms of how we make sense of percentages and so on and so forth. We never ask the question, percentage of what, right? I mean, somebody throws a number and, and we just look at it and say whether it is higher uh, or lower. Now, coming to uh, uh, COVID, right? It's a deadly combination of a lot of things. It's a deadly combination of fear, uh, innumeracy, you know, poor understanding of risk, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, fear is a great emotion. Somebody has said, you know, fear has saved more lives than anything else. It's essential. Yeah, it's essential to our survival. If you see a snake, you should be fearful. But constant fear kills, right? And that's what is kind of happening. It's that if you constantly keep scaring people, uh, that's kind of a big detriment to you know uh, uh, public health. And so, therefore, when we see all these numbers, there is a uh, like I was tweeting. There is a combination of ignorance, malice. Uh, and laziness in, in kind of making sense of these numbers. And it can have all kinds of effects, right? So it can have effects where people take undue risk, uh, uh, where somebody might say, nobody around me has got COVID, and therefore uh, I'll go and take those risks as opposed to looking at overall, you know, numbers. Uh, or sometimes, you know, you're too scared. Like we were discussing prior to the show, uh, this entire bit about hygiene theater, right? Uh, <laughs> where we are wiping everything down, washing our hands. There's never, never really any evidence to do that. But if you go back to the uh, a year ago, that was our single biggest public health measure to stop this virus, not even masks, right? Before mm -hmm. anything else, hand wash became a major thing. You know, Apple Watch started putting it you know, a hand wash, a hand wash tub, 30 second timer uh, as a feature in it. So we overdid it. And now CDC and everyone is asking us to stop doing it. And then they communicate this number saying, you know, the 
risk of catching it at like one in ten thousand or one in thirty-five thousand, which means nothing to my mind. I mean, like, uh, I, I I was in this conference many years ago, uh, where there's this specific procedure. If you undergo, you can reduce HIV risk by sixty percent, right? And then my question was, sixty percent of what? Right? Is it sixty percent of people? Is it sixty percent of times? Right? I mean, what is this sixty percent? And I was commenting that the only good thing about sixty percent is that it's more than fifty percent. Right? <laughs> so, so that's the only good thing about sixty. And beyond that, it makes no sense, right? So, uh, I'll make this one last point, and you know, we can discuss uh, the next things. Is that? Uh, Word gives this fantastic example, right? So there is this psychiatrist treating patients, and then for many people he prescribes a medication, and he tells them, "Hey, you know what? There is a thirty percent chance of impotence with this medication, right? Uh, so I just want to let you know." And he was actually quite shocked that no one stopped and asked, you know, what should I do, and they just. Seemed very nonchalant about it, and then he started reframing this, saying that, "Hey, you know what? Three out of ten people who take this medication, you know, develop impotence, right?" And then everybody sat back and said, "Hey, tell me more," because when you say thirty percent, people don't know. Is it thirty percent of the time I have sex? Is it thirty percent of the people? What is this thirty percent? Right? It makes no sense. And therefore, we have all these things happening now, right? In terms of whether vaccine efficacy or mask efficacy, and so on and so forth, where all these numbers start, you know, kind of floating around that you know undermine confidence in vaccines and you know uh, lead to a bunch of other problems, which are very very hard to overcome. Uh, and maybe we can talk a little bit more uh, in terms of you know specific. To uh, to vaccines, but that's one good example of framing risk as opposed to thirty percent to you know three out of ten. It's much more tangible, kind of much more uh, relatable. Uh, and the other thing to again bear in mind is that we have a negativity bias. So any like negative information, we tend to kind of focus too much. Uh, so that's another thing to kind of bear in mind when you know communicating risk, or you have to provide some context, right? Otherwise, we're always thinking about the worst case scenario. So, so how about this, Ram? Before we get into a little bit more COVID stuff, I wanted to actually put that slide up that you were talking about, where people mm. actually yeah. tend to seek certainty. So now, can you talk about this slide that you had sent me? Yeah. So, so what is this about? Yeah, it's a fantastic slide. It's in the book "Thinking Faster and Slow" by Daniel Kahneman. So, what you see on, you know, um, the x-axis is actual probability of an event, and what you see in the y-axis is that how people perceive it to be, right? So, so for example, if something is one percent probable, right? So, which means something's like the sun rises in the east, right? So, there is absolutely no uh uh doubt there so assume that there is a specific event which earlier wouldn't happen but even if you tell someone that hey there is a 1% chance of something happening in our mind that 0 to 1 is a big shift 
mm-hmm. right? Suddenly from something that could never happen, but it could happen, and we overweight, right? So this chart suggests that we overweighted by five times, right? So something that's like 1%, now that there's a 5% probability of it happening. Like think lotteries, right? So why do so many people buy lotteries? You know the probabilities. Or why do so many people gamble in a casino? You know the house always wins, but it's a combination of overconfidence that you know I'll win or the numbers I pick in a lottery will win. I mean, that's a genius of lotteries where you can pick your own numbers, where somehow you think you have control of the outcomes and the possibility effect, right? So suddenly from uh, uh, it seemed a little bit higher uh, than what it is. And on the other extreme, you'll see this beautiful value of, you know, 199. The difference between 99 and 100 is just one. But again, mm-hmm. in, in our heads, when we look at 99, there is still some possibility that this may not happen, right? So therefore, we wait at, uh, at say, 90. Now, when you see this in the context of, uh, you know, some of these vaccines and their efficacy, and we'll come to you know, a deeper discussion on that. Suppose, you know, a public health official says, you know, this vaccine is 80%, uh, has 80% efficacy, right? So that's the actual probability. But since it's not 100, in our heads, we, we tend to think of it more close to 60, right? and not 80 and that's how you know the mind plays tricks with us and so therefore the heuristic for 60 like i said is 50 right it's half so we're thinking maybe this vaccine is half as effective right it's it's it seems closer to 50 than to 100 although the number 80 is much closer to 100 than it is 50 and it's a big difference right so mm-hmm. I think these are the things for us to kind of bear in mind when you're communicating percentages and probabilities mm-hmm. that uh, the actual probabilities are very different from, you know, consumer or people-weighted probabilities. Uh, so as a public health official, you have to be honest. So you can't obviously lie and say this is more uh, effective than what it is. But I think when sharing numbers it's therefore very important to then say you know eight out of ten people uh won't get it uh, as opposed to saying you know 80 percent right so that's one way to kind of communicate it uh, and and there are other strategies one can use you know in terms of personalizing it or making it relevant to a state or uh, to a specific district and so on and so forth. But I think it's a very, very interesting chart in terms of understanding actual probabilities versus you know how we look at probabilities. Again, it's not easy for people to kind of make sense of, uh, uh, of these probabilities. In fact, most educated people uh, would kind of uh, get it wrong. Uh, yep. All right. So I have uh, now let's get into uh, so I'll, I'll take this slide off now. So now let's get into something that I wanted to talk about. Let's focus a little bit more on the vaccine. So here's the bit about the vaccine. So I'm going to share something that really pissed me off today. You know, mm. until the extent that uh, me being me, I started swearing because that's how I am. Uh, so I'm just going to put two photos up, Ram. Mm. And this is a classic case of pathetic reportage so let's start with the first photo here is the first photo 
This is the first photo, right? 37 doctors of Gangaram Hospital test COVID positive. Now, what they're trying to insinuate here is that, that these doctors got a vaccine and they got COVID. Hi, Ram. Marge. Dunya barbado Ham lut And then, lo and behold, the same doctor from that hospital itself tweeted this. This is Dr. Sujay. He says, we are 500 doctors at Gangaram Hospital. 37 are COVID positive, which means 92.6% protection from infection. Absolute protection, right? Fire hospitalized, most because of significant comorbidities. That is 99% protect protection from hospitalization. So that means if you uh, got COVID after, vac you know, after getting the COVID shot, and you did not have any comorbidities, you're 99% sure that you're not even going to get hospitalized. And then he says, five admitted don't have severe disease. That means you have 100% protection from severe disease and mortality. Now, here's a classic case, Ram, of, uh, I don't know how to say this, but an illiterate journalist who must be working in a social media cell of a big mainstream media organization that and there is now here's the problem here i don't know so uh, i myself i always believe in you know the hanlon's razor right never attribute to malice that which can be explained by stupidity so i i i am trying to say that these people are stupid and they don't have malice but i really don't know anymore so if you're working in the social media cell of this particular media group, what is your job? You have to attract more and more people to your Twitter handle, more and more people, because at the end of the month, you know, you must be giving that engagement report to your bosses. Look, my Twitter handle had this much engagement. These are my analytics. And so how do you create it at the time of COVID? You scare the living daylights out of people by showing them all these weird news that, why? COVID vaccine lately, uske baad bhi COVID ho gaya. But my question to you is that what do you think? Are they just stupid or they're just doing it out of malice as in so stupid because we have a negativity bias, we are not even aware of it and we just want to cling on to whatever is negative. So which one do you think is the case? I was uh, tweeting that it's a combination of uh, malice, ignorance and uh, sheer laziness. <laughs> I mean, uh, journalism has a public responsibility, right? So first and foremost, you're supposed to think that what I'm doing, is it in the interest of public? Is it in public good? But that again, that's a utopia. Uh, we are well past those times. Uh, so therefore, these are commercial organizations. I think the one of the greatest education that needs to happen among public is that journalism is a business. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not a service. Uh, and therefore, you have to have a healthy level of, you know, uh, distrust in media. Right? I think that's good for public health to not rely on, on journalists. Now, if you look at the reporting globally on this, I think the greatest disservice to public, you know, in this uh, pandemic, apart from, you know, crazy measures by government has come from journalists mm -hmm. and, and they've, been very poor at communicating this risk and on top of that they've been going hammer and tong against governments that did not 
take their orders, right? So I, as a journalist, said something. How dare you not, uh, mm -hmm. you know, implement measures, like I said. So you remember the days they went hammer and tong about uh, uh, Kawasaki-like syndrome among kids and, you know, kids are at a great risk and so on and so forth, right? So it, it, and then that led to a, you know, a huge amount of panic because when it comes to children, uh, like Dr. Osterholm, a, a very good epidemiologist says that you can't think of denominators and percentages, right? So when kids come into the picture, you only have to think of numerators, right? So you can't say, you know, uh, and therefore what tends to happen is that one is this thing of control, right? As a journalist, right? So I can write something and then I have this power, right? So, and therefore I want to use that power. Uh, two is uh, ignorance. Uh, so when in, in often we talk about how it's not the brightest of people who get into journalism, but I think more importantly, if you go back in time, it's not like a journalist is an expert, right? And journalists were very aware of their own shortcomings. So they would go talk to a doctor, talk to a scientist, verify this, how do I frame this story, right? So talk to four or five people and then push through a story, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. what you ex that's the least you expect from a journalist. You don't expect them to be experts in everything. That's not possible, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But that's not what they do, right? So they just hear this news. And I've been on the other end where some journalists wanted a story and I would tell them, you know, hold off, talk to this gentleman, you know, get more context. And they would say, no, no, I've already pushed the story. I just need a quote from it, right? So just say something. <laughs> and, and then uh, I'm writing good things about you. Just say uh, you agree and then, you know, uh, and then after a point, I felt kind of disgusted to talk about them because they, there's a lot of misrepresentation happening, you know, anyway. So, and of course, I mean, most of the listeners would understand the, you know, that sensationalizing uh, bit of it. So when they hear uh, this, it just seems like, oh, wow, you know, so many doctors got it. This is going to be a great story. Uh, so let me not wait before, you know, others, because the first one, kind of gets all the benefit and then then it's kind of a continuing spiral paranoia right so the next guy will say oh they found in this hospital let me go find in another hospital let me go find in the entire state right so, and so so you have this you know spiral paranoia that happens where you'll have a lot of stories about how doctors across the country are you know catching the virus and therefore uh uh, you know, you create this public fear, right? Uh, and that you know, that often happens, not just in this story, but in a range of other stories, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we kind of hold them accountable? Right? So they're, uh, they're, you're not paying them for their service. Mm -hmm. uh, you are not, uh, uh, you don't have a formal kind of a mechanism or reticence to write about them <laughs> and then get someone fired or demand kind of better standards. But unfortunately, uh, purely by, uh, like you said, eyeballs or the number of shares or engagement and the perverse incentives make it seem like, you know, uh, that's the only way to go. Now, what is the way out of it? I mean, thankfully, we have uh, 
social media that's a positive and a negative you know on whatsapp all kinds of messages kind of fly through but the very basic thing i mean i think it's expecting too much but the very basic thing we can demand is that news organizations put journalists through simple training on you know numbers and data right uh, 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 it's not that difficult right it's probably it's like a one day two day course saying hey hey when you report numbers and percentages you know these are some rules that you need to kind of follow uh, and uh, and therefore uh, you know that would be in public good but then again that's expecting too much because the incentives are not <laughs> aligned so i mean that's a world that we are in that you can't even take like few hours off and understand you know risk uh, data communication better now uh, if i were uh, uh, in a journalist organization i mean one of the things that we see happening right across board uh, and my colleague pratesh was mentioning this in another context is that people conflate preventive and protective uh-huh. right so what is preventive right something that you will never get protective is that you might get it but it won't affect you right so in the context of say covid if i take a vaccine right preventive is that i'll never catch this virus protective is that i might catch this virus but nothing will happen to me right mm-hmm. but the way people are reading the data is that they're thinking you know uh, 100% preventive right so if i take a vaccine i should never get it right yeah that's not going to be the case and when you're vaccinating millions of people right so uh, 100 million people and if the vaccine efficacy is 80% right as far as you know its ability to prevent is concerned mm-hmm. 20% of the people are at risk when you think about the whole country that's a huge number that's like 200 million people right or you know, if you take the eligible population at least more than 100 million people who are going to catch this virus right and if you're going to have journalists who kind of keep reporting that this person you know got covid in spite of getting vaccines of course they're going to do it mm-hmm. uh, again this is something that i was tweeting about long back is that one of the first thing any health ministry should have done is called all the editors before vaccine rollout yes and explain this saying hey this is going to happen people who got vaccinated are going to get covid right mm-hmm. what else is going to happen there are going to be a lot of correlated deaths there are people who get vaccine and would die some would die within the hour some would die the next day some would die within a week It's because unfortunately people die all the time right mm-hmm. uh, so that's the other thing to communicate saying that hey there're going to be a lot of correlated deaths doesn't mean that we are going to ignore them we are going to you know investigate every death but bear in mind that as long as the overall death rate doesn't go up which means it's just a correlation and not a causation but mm-hmm. it's natural for humans to kind of see causation where one doesn't exist right so uh it's a classic thing that happens with you know uh, with vaccines so i but 
it's only now that we are vaccinating so many people in such a short span of time. Earlier vaccinations happened, you know, at birth and at a slow frequency. Even if there are correlated deaths, they don't go reported, right? So, but now this vaccine has been developed in, you know, full public attention with people mm -hmm. paying attention to every little detail, seeing all these numbers. And therefore you have, you're going to have a lot of correlated deaths. You have a lot of reporters on the ground who need stories. Right? And they are on the WhatsApp of many ordinary people. So all you need to do is just say, hey, this, this man got a vaccine yesterday and he died today. And therefore, that's going to become a story. So priming all these, uh, you know, journalists uh, up front, right, saying that these are going to happen. And this is how to report it. We are not asking not to report, but, you know, you have to provide context and uh, that we are going to uh, uh, to investigate. Now, the problem with this is that you can't do it now. You're, uh, you either tell public in advance. Now, if you say it, it looks like you're justifying, right? So now you are playing defense. Yeah, the cat's uh, out of the bag. Exactly. So it's gone, right? So now whatever you do, you're always going to be late and people are going to say, ah, this is what they'll say, right? So this is a classic case where uh, and these strategies kind of existed. Uh, it's pretty much the norm. You should have kind of issued guidelines saying that this is going to happen. This is where I think we have this, while public can be, uh, including myself, we can be poor at reading numbers, but people are not idiots, right? So, and I think often governments make this assumption that if we don't scare, square up with people, right? If we tell people that there are going to be some people who are Dying, it's going to be it's going to be the case that some people are going to catch the virus that people will somehow not take the vaccine right so that they're so dumb that they won't so therefore we should not say these things i think to the contrary we should be transparent uh, to the extent possible and tell people that you know this is going to happen and and then explain to people the difference between preventive and protective right otherwise it's just a number race right i'll take this vaccine because it's 95 percent you know uh, effective i won't take the jnj vaccine because it's only 60 percent effective these are all crazy numbers right so i mean there are better trade-offs with say a jnj vaccine because it's one shot and you you get the production in two weeks and and that's a danger of producing all these numbers that people Again, the other thing that we are not good at is making decisions based on a range of factors, right? So take buying a car, for example, right? So if I have a choice between three, four cars, there's so much data, right? So what is the mileage? What is the price? You know, the safety features in this car, the design features. I mean, the list is long. So what do car companies do, right? So they want you to go for a test drive, right? So then you sit in the car and say, ah, I like this car, <laughs> right? It's no longer about the numbers. So I think beyond four or five variables, I think it's very difficult for us to make a, a rational decision. And Absolutely. the risk of, yeah, and the risk of pushing through some of these numbers is that people start taking decisions based on those numbers. And then we start misinterpreting those numbers, you know, uh, and therefore you have this, the scenario like the one that you put up saying you know so many doctors got it of course i mean as they would right they, 
it's not uh, it's not 100% protect uh, you know preventive and if there are significant comorbidities you know there would be unfortunately you know some deaths but again they don't provide the context so if you reduce everything to like 140 or 280 characters this i mean then the worst headline becomes the best headline as far as you know uh, yeah, getting clicks is concerned again like i said it's not a very difficult skill it's not uh, it's something that news organizations can do uh, quite easily but they won't uh, because their incentives are aligned uh, to communicating this uh, uh, in a sensational manner uh, in a manner to kind of scare people and they are not mindful of the consequences right so and therefore you have this crazy situation where before we started hitting these crazy numbers in india uh, like in my hometown my mom was telling me people like volunteers were like going door to door asking people to take vaccine vaccines but because of all this reporting and we were discussing earlier the other disservice that happens is telling people that nothing changes with the vaccine <laughs> i mean so uh, now look at how we have loaded the trade-offs right if you get the vaccine you still might get covid even if you get vaccine you can't you still have to wear masks you have to distance and you have to stay at home so what is the real incentive for taking a vaccine so unless there is some reward in taking a vaccine, why would people take it? Right? And whatever that we are doing, we are undermining confidence in vaccines by a combination of fear uh, that it may not work uh, and the crazy you know, regulations that even after you get it, you should not go out because you could spread. Uh, uh, by the way, I, that transmission evidence is literally zero. Yeah, exactly. So this is <laughs> this. I mean, public health officials never get uh, blamed for overestimating risk, right? So they're mm -hmm. always worried about underestimating the risk. If I say a thousand people die and ten thousand die, it's a huge problem. And if I say mm -hmm. ten thousand die and only a thousand die, it's not as much as a problem, right? Mm -hmm. But now that we have vaccines, that strategy won't work. So you have to have a lot of confidence in the vaccines based on data right? so you don't want to lie to people but uh, but you have to tell people what like it is and communicate some of the rewards of taking vaccines now of course we have high numbers and therefore most people want vaccines i mean imagine this right so you're eligible for a vaccine and the vaccine is either around the corner or available and you catch the disease and die it, I mean, it's prob it's the worst case scenario. And therefore, vaccine hesitancy can harm people, and it is real. And all of these stories that we are seeing kind of add to that, right? So today, we might be in a situation where all these states are saying, oh, we don't have enough supply, which, by the way, is such a common story everywhere. Even in the US, all states start blaming the central government, saying, oh, we don't have vaccines. I mean, the center does not keep it locked up somewhere, right? In the sense that whatever they have, they, they, they distribute. Uh, it's not like this utopian entity, which is ruling 10 other countries. But uh, once you have them, uh, you don't do a good job of you know, giving it. 
now there is high demand, but this yo-yo is going to continue. Soon you're going to have so many vaccines and uh, people don't want to then take it, either because a lot of others have taken it or because of all these framing problems that we talked about and all these fears that people have of you know side effects or correlated deaths or like the tweet that you mentioned saying, you know, doctors got it, so what's the point of taking it? Uh, yeah, I, so, you know, I just wanted to add a few things over here. So I yep. did a simple trick. So I'm sure you must be facing these kind of people on a daily basis too. But I've faced just far too many people. So, uh, so I was talking to a few friends of mine. They're like, "Yar, Kushal, magar vaccine lene ke baad bhi COVID ka infection hota hai. You get infected again." I was like, "Okay." So, like you said, it it is preventive and the other option, right? So I told them I I played a very simple trick with them. And this is how I convinced them. So I told them, okay, what do you remember last year that is not happening this year? They're like, no, no, you tell me. I was like, okay, do you remember from March, April, May onwards, every day we were inundated with, uh, you know, those sad headlines of frontline workers dying, doctors dying uh, because of COVID, because they were basically doctors and healthcare workers are basically exposed to the highest viral load of COVID, period. Because they are inside those environments where, they are surrounded by COVID patients. I was like, are you getting that news right now? They're like, huh, we're not getting that news right now. I said, did you ever ask yourself why you're not getting that news right now? He's like, no, we did not. I was like, what is the one difference between last year and this year? He's like, oh yeah, vaccine ho gaya. I was like, chalta hai ki nahi chalta hai vaccine. Is it effective or not effective? So you see the classic case over here is the entire framing of the vaccine should not have been based on infection. It should have been based on morbidity and mortality, right? Yep. So do you get some other morbidities? Let's say, you know, there are every time I'll talk to a person, they'll be like, okay, you may not die because of COVID, but you might get some morbidity. So I was like, okay, so what do the vaccines prevent the most? All vaccines, we have enough data, have as good as 100% protection from mortality. All vaccines, it doesn't matter, right? And vaccines also have a significant increase as far as protection from future morbidities caused due to COVID. Now, when you're framing and you're trying to sell a vaccine to people so that they go out there and they get vaccinated, how should this have been done? I mean, at least when I use this trick with people, it seems to work. They're like, no, you have a point. They're actually, they're not dying. The doctors are not dying because all of them are vaccinated. So that means we should get vaccinated. Now, if a person, a layman like me, who has literally no say in this process, uh, why the hell can't people inside the government of India, why the hell can't editors get something as basic as this? So in that case, this is a clear, I mean, Ram, this has been the story in India, right? When there were vaccines that were being developed so that they can be launched, everything was, I hate Modi so much, so I will doubt everything about the vaccine itself. Now the vaccine has come out, it seems to be working. Now I hate Modi so much that why aren't you vaccinating everyone? Now, we have made a joke of this entire process. And in this entire process, like another data, data point, right? We have 12 crore senior citizens in India, 60 and above. 
we should be really worried that even now not even 4 crore people have come forward and taken a vaccine even after the portal being open for more than a month and a half i mean we have had the portal open for senior citizens which shows what there are three kinds of scenarios here one people are getting turned off because of these rumors uh two people are not getting an access to the vaccine maybe they in in remote areas because of infrastructural issues and three there is a huge chunk in india that is just not scared of covid has anybody factored in that they they don't have any fear of covid they like ha yeah. huh. so in such a scenario i actually wanted to share some some more data and i wanted you to explain this So the source is National Crime Records Bureau, Ministry of Road and Transport and Highway, Law Commission of India, and Global Status Report on Road Safety 2013. So I'm just going to read the data out of this. This is basically top ten cities of India uh, with the highest number of road crash deaths rank wise. Number one is Delhi, then Chennai, Jaipur, Bengaluru, Mumbai, Kanpur, Lucknow, Agra, Hyderabad, Pune, and this is the data. One serious road accident in the country occurs every minute, and 16 die on the Indian roads every hour. 1,214 road crashes occur every day in India. Two-wheelers account for 25% of total road crash deaths. 20 children under the age of 14 die every day due to road crashes in the country. 377 people die every day, equivalent to a jumbo jet crashing every day. Two people die every hour in Uttar Pradesh, the state with the maximum number of road crash deaths. Tamil Nadu is the state with the maximum number of road crash injuries. Now. Why don't people stop buying two wheelers? Why don't people start driving on the roads? What is so unique about COVID? <laughs> Road safety is a favorite topic of mine. Something that I've done a lot of work. Yeah, that's uh, why I got this statistic out because I know you've done so much work on it. By the way, by twenty thirty, I think uh, road accidents will overtake HIV as a leading cause of death. uh there already a leading leading cause of death among uh, 15 to 24 year olds i think uh mm-hmm. among uh, the youngest of you know population unfortunately it does not get the attention or the funding uh, in fact for every dollar spent on road safety you can save much more lives than change some of the health conditions uh there are combination of factors right so one is that this risk is seen as something that in your hands right so so if you did a simple survey and asked a room full of people uh, if their average above average or excellent drivers something like 90% of the people would say they are above average or excellent right <laughs> uh so there is this classic overconfidence when it comes to driving and there are a, a lot of other factors i mean one of the greatest being that driving involves something like 1500 sub skills it's one of the most complex things that we do as humans right mm-hmm. you have all your senses eyes ears touch so all your senses are working and it's actually a difficult task but something that the the greatness of our brain is that even as complex as driving we master it within days and then it starts seeming kind of easy uh and why do why do people still you know kind of drive crazy and get into all of this and like i said you know a combination of factors like like i said overconfidence or you know uh, in some cases risk compensation uh, there are all these crazy numbers that new cars have a higher rate of accidents than old cars right? so you have a new car you think you can drive faster 
there's this really interesting experiment on uh, Germ Germany, I think, among cab drivers. So they did split between car taxis with ABS and taxis without ABS, right? So you would think anti-lock braking system would uh, lead to less accidents. There was no statistical difference because your brain starts discounting for better safety features. And therefore you start taking more risks. Uh, and like, again, in, in India, I think uh, the roads are, uh, can take more speed than the vehicles. Uh, what do I mean by that? So uh, you can say this road is a hundred kilometers per hour road. That's for a good car. But if you have a bike or if you are a pedestrian, it's, it's like too much of risk. Uh, you can go into a combination of things, but overall, I think it's, there is a little bit of numbing that happens because it's happening all the while. Two, it's not contagious like COVID, right? So there is no, uh, 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 the level of, you know, uh, uh, progression is very different right in covid today yeah just wanted to share one more data point with you ram and then you can go ahead but road accidents are 10 times more likely to take our lives than covid yeah but it's not contagious right and i think i have control over it right so uh, so if you ask someone who's driving you know what are your chances of dying in an accident you'd say nothing because i've been doing this all my life uh, and many, by the way, many of these road accidents are not, not even reported, right? So you think that uh, uh, you're not at risk or you have high control, right? So that's the thing. And the numbers are crazy, by the way, something like, you know, 150,000, 200,000 people in India uh, die because of, you know, road accidents. It's not something that, you know, gets the same kind of attention. And it's also not a spectacular risk, right? So uh, COVID is a spectacular risk. It's a global risk. Uh, a nuclear thing is a spectacular risk. Therefore, we are very scared of nuclear power, whereas all the numbers suggest otherwise, right? So the number of people who die because of uh, um, uh, pollution, because of say, a coal power plant, versus the number of people who died in, say, a nuclear power plant, right? So how many people died in you know, Fukushima, right? Uh, but that's a spectacular risk. So therefore, we are more scared of those things. I mean, again, all risks are not same. Uh, some risks are uh, more salient, more spectacular. Uh, and therefore, uh, we tend to overweight those as opposed to, you know, uh, some of the others. So, so imagine this scenario, Ram. So I'm just, yeah. you know, highlighting this to give people a context. During 2019, the fatality rate per 100 crashes was around 30. Based on the media tracking and deduplication done by our organization, 145 out of 381 road deaths occur between March 24th and May 16th were migrants, said Piyush Tiwari of Save Life Foundation. Hmm. Now look at the data here. A road hmm. crash is 10 times more likely to kill someone than getting infected with COVID-19. I mean, this is, this is shocking that how the human mind plays games, don't you think? I mean, but but then my follow-up question to you would be, is that how do we convince people, not that I'm saying you should not take COVID seriously. I want you to take COVID seriously, but you have to take it seriously in the right way, right? Yep. You have to take it seriously in the right way, like wear a mask and try to maintain personal hygiene as much as you can and get vaccinated whenever you get a chance. But my point is that, 
how can we be so callous in one department? It's like diarrhea deaths in India. Something, uh, who would have thought something as innocuous as diarrhea kills 1,400 people daily in India? TB. 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 And again, look at the irony of this. You get a tuberculosis vaccine when you're born, but you still have TB in India. But that vaccine, everybody is fine with. But... <laughs> Cold vaccine is dangerous. I don't get all of this. So how do we, you know, how do we unpack this weird human behavior? I, I, I can't make sense of it. I think some of them have like a very evolutionary basis to it. And therefore, you have to kind of live with it. So this is a very interesting statistic. So, so what is, I think, Kurd frames it well, says, how many kilometers do you have to drive? Uh for the same amount of risk of, say, dying in an air crash on a flight, say, between Bombay and Delhi, right? Uh, and if I'm mis not mistaken, it's like five or seven miles, right? So that's, yeah. th th that's the huge amount of risk. But again, plane crashes are spectacular, and therefore, they're reported heavily. Uh, and therefore, we tend to kind of overweight those risks. And like I said, I think, we are more tuned to paying more attention to spectacular risks, and therefore, uh, uh, we we are more fearful of certain things which we should not be. But I think coming to this, you know, point on on how do we kind of address some of these responses to COVID? Uh, how can we be more pragmatic? So, so if you it, had talked about uh, when you had sent some points. We you uh, you had mentioned about balancing risk and rewards. That, yep. That's the part, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, I'll talk about that. I mean, again, before going, I mean, the, the thing again in driving is that we are very good at calculating risks. We are very poor at calculating rewards. Nobody calculates the rewards one gets by driving like really fast, right? I mean, there is a certain thrill in that. Uh, coming to COVID, right? So, I mean, if you go back to March, when you ask people to take a, a spectacular measure like a lockdown, right, which is a blunt instrument, right, so you shut mm -hmm. everything down. And therefore, people start thinking that, you know, this is, you know, apocalypse and therefore we can't get outside. I mean, I see people out in the open, they're, on, they're the only people in the road for, you know, hundreds of meters together and they'd still wear a mask. Because we have this perception that this virus is like on the trees and on top of the buildings, like waiting to kind of pounce <laughs> upon you. Uh, double masking and triple masking and so on and so forth. But what we have told public is like this is uh, this is spectacular risk, and therefore we have this like really blunt instrument, no compromise, right? And therefore you have kind of primed people to either take too much precaution or no precaution at all, right? So there are always going to be contrarians who will say, you know, I don't feel scared or I don't want to feel scared. So therefore I won't do anything, right? And then you have people saying, this is the worst thing on the planet in my lifetime. And therefore I'm going to do everything, uh, even if it's kind of overdone. Instead of that, if we are a little bit more measured saying, wear a mask, but not outdoors when you're not around people, right? So mm -hmm. if you are a little bit more pragmatic in asking people to take certain measures, you're better off. So you 
consumed so much attention and load in getting people to wash their hands and wipe things, then communicating multiple you know behaviors is difficult. I mean, I'll give you another classic example. It's a diabetes, right? When somebody is diagnosed with diabetes, the doctor looks at it and says, this is a very easy condition to treat. He'll tell you, hey, all you have to do is to stop eating carbs and sugar, start taking these pills, right? And going on a walk every day uh, uh, for 30 minutes and then check your glucose regularly, right? It's simple, right? I mean, like very doable, just for behaviors. Mm -hmm. But multiple behaviors are very difficult to push through, right? So it takes a lot for us to kind of add new behaviors. And that's one of the points I was making is that, you know, habit change is much slower than science. You, know, you can't suddenly pull mm -hmm. the plug and say, hey, now you don't have to wash your hands that much. Focus that attention on masks, right? So we kind of overused our, uh, our energy, so to speak, on one set of activity. So one, I think we need to get a little bit more pragmatic and allow for certain rewards saying, don't do this indoors, don't do this indoors. If you're vaccinated, you know, these are the things that, you know, you can do freely and these are the things that you, uh, you know, I can't think of anything that you cannot do once you're fully vaccinated, uh, but then. Uh, so if you communicate those things, it's better. And two, I want to come back to the point that you made about, uh, you know, uh, a sudden drop in death among healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. That's a great way of communicating risk, right? Because it's a nice heuristic. I don't have to make sense of a lot of numbers. You can say, hey, we vaccinated all the doctors and healthcare workers. This mm -hmm. is how many died last year, right? In say April of 2020. And so this is the number in April of, you know, 2020. So it's a classic split window, right? And people can look at it and say, huh. So the only variable is vaccine and therefore it worked and therefore you should take it right mm -hmm. the other example again it's a bit of a double-edged sword is like again from israel right so i think the number is 40 percent. so if you like vaccinate about 40 percent of the population the deaths tend to drop dramatically right so now it's got a negative and a positive uh, from a communication point of view that's, that's a good thing saying that you know again look at all this data deaths are going to drop dramatically uh, so if you kind of vaccinate 30, 40% of the people and therefore vaccines work, the risk there is that once the deaths start dropping precipitously, you are again faced with the scenario where a number of people don't want to get vaccines and therefore you're still going to have these, uh, you know, flash fires here and there, uh, you know, mm. uh, where people might still kind of get COVID. But overall, I think like communicating some of the rewards on vaccines, focusing on protection, and not prevention. And you won't end up in the hospital and you won't die, right? Is a, is a much better framing than saying you won't get it, right? Uh, and then since, like I said, we have a negativity bias, five people around me get it. I think everybody around me is getting it, whereas like 100 people did not get it, right? So we don't focus on the people who don't get it. We only focus on the people who get it. and. Again, I mean, these are all like very obvious things for governments before, right? And I think most governments have dropped the ball on like estimating hesitancy, right? And if you have to talk about hesitancy again, they've focused too much on these anti-vaxxers, right? That's a very, very small group 
and it's a hopeless group. There's nothing you can do to that yeah. group. Right? That's very, very hardcore. But when you think of hesitancy, right? One, it is real and it's different, right? So some people are indifferent. Some people are written watch. Some people are worried about side effects, right? Instead, what do we do globally? Like, like Fauci is everywhere, right? Same talking about vaccine hesitancy. I mean, people who believe in him, people who respect him, are not the people who will hesitate to take a vaccine. Right? So they'll go ahead and take it. So overall, you know, politicians have a limited appeal unless they have very high approval rating. So I would say, like if a Biden saying, please take the vaccine has very little impact, right? Because I mean, he's the president, people, a simple photograph of him taking the vaccine uh, would do the job. That's the other thing. We have underestimated hesitancy. We have overestimated the value of politicians and celebrities in, in minimizing hesitancy. Uh, instead of focusing on the factors that drive hesitancy, right? Is it like fear of side effects? Is it, you know, uh, wait and watch? Is it indifference? Or like you said, uh, people are don't perceive, you know, very low risk perception. Uh, and then you know, have much more targeted kind of messaging. The, the number you said of, you know, uh, like less than four crore people in India uh, in that age group getting is a very crazy number <laughs> because I mean, you could still have high cases and significantly lower fatalities if you have vaccinated high risk population, right? And that's what states like Florida did here, like really well. You could still have like 8,000, 9,000 cases and have very few fatalities if you vaccinated high risk people. And four out of 12 crores is the dangerously low number, right? Uh, which means mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of pain uh, in, in terms of fatalities. So I think to sum it up, instead of all these numbers and percentages, we have to find heuristic way of, you know, communicating the benefits, uh, you know, focus on protection and providing as much context as possible uh, when talking about vaccinated people, you know, still getting the disease. So before I start taking the questions of the live viewers, I just have one last question because this is something you had tweeted about and this is something even I am very torn about. So, you know, while we are talking about incentivizing people to get a vaccine. So Ram, let us talk a little bit about... Um, and also I want to... Why did Ram and I make this entire discussion about vaccination is because we want to nudge people towards getting a vaccine. So I want you guys to understand why we are so obsessed with the vaccine. We can easily look at the data and talk about COVID too. But we want to talk about the vaccine is because somewhere down the line, even Ram and I want to nudge you and make sure that everybody in your house who is 45 and above and watching this in India goes and gets a vaccine. But here's the point. So, so to incentivize vaccinations, and here's the thing, Ram, this pandemic has been the biggest encroachment on our rights as individuals on our rights as citizens of democratic nations across the world, whether it's the United States of America, whether it's Canada, whether it's uh, England, whether it's India, you know, public health officials under the garb of, a, garb of a pandemic have literally robbed us of our basic rights. It's a constant tussle between public health and our rights. In the case of a vaccine, we've started listening to, you know, whispers of something like a vaccine passport. So let's say I want to travel to the United States of America. Let's say I want to use public health of, you know, public, public transport. 
So what if somebody from BEST in Mumbai or Mumbai Railways says that, you know what, if you are not vaccinated and you do not have a valid reason that, you know, if you take a vaccine, you might have some medical conditions, but everybody else, 18 and above, say one year down the line, if they are not vaccinated, they will not be given access to public transport. How do we work around that? That might encourage people to go and get a vaccine in the short term. But Ram, how do we balance that scenario where on one hand we have a complete assault on our right to choose vis-a-vis -vis our safety from COVID? Oh. So I completely agree with you. It's, it's not just a wealth transfer. It's like a power transfer. Uh, from citizens to uh, governments, mostly unelected officials. And it's a very dangerous thing. Nobody lets go of power uh, ever. Uh, and you have a situation where most of the people who have this power uh, have not personally been affected, uh, either in terms of their wages or, or their status. Right. So. You have this scenario where a, a you know, small number of people have too much power. And you also have people who don't get trade-offs, right? So you're always thinking, I want to save every little, uh, yeah, every single person from COVID. Now, it's a very, very noble kind of thought, but there is nothing called zero risk. Every time you step out, you take a risk. Every business you start, you take a risk, right? So therefore, this entire zero risk, zero death, is a is a silly proposition so therefore i i wrote a piece earlier on saying it's always the politician who has to take these decisions because he gets trade-offs right and he's accountable so you can't mm -hmm. fire the head of icmr right but you can fire the prime minister uh, or a president mm -hmm. of a nation in an election and they are the ones who have to make trade-offs between you know uh, you know economy and and public health and as i keep saying it's not good for public health, for public health officials to be on TV all the time. That's, that's not the sign of a healthy nation. Right? So they need to go back uh, you know, into the background. And the more that they talk about some of these draconian measures, the more you kind of undermine you know, public trust and confidence. Now, coming to the specific point on vaccine passports, luckily that ship is sailed in the US, it looks like. I'm totally against it. Uh, I'm totally against any paternalistic thing, right? So not just, I would say, the, not just about, uh, I would say it's not being paternalistic, right? Moment you you use laws and rules, then it, it's not nudge anymore. Nudge works when people have a natural intent, intent to do something. And if you communicate with them in a transparent manner, and provide some kind of an incentive to do it. I'll give you a simple example. So air travel, right? So if I say that if for you to air travel by air today, you have to produce an RT-PCR test, right? If I say that if you are vaccinated, you don't need to produce an RT-PCR test, right? So that's an incentive, right? But what are we doing? Mm -hmm. We say it doesn't matter whether you're vaccinated or not, you still need an RT-PCR test, right? So I think those are some of the things that you can do. Making it easier, you know, reducing friction in the system. Uh, unfortunately, you know, most of the people who are also, who are at the highest risk are also least digital, digitally savvy, right? I keep talking to a lot of 70, 75 year olds. They struggle to go online and find an appointment. 
Luckily in India, because we don't have this like concept of old age homes, you know, you have multi-generation households and therefore mm-hmm. uh, youngsters probably help them. But I think I would rely on smaller incentives like those rather than hard measures saying, you know, unless you're vaccinated, you can or cannot do these things. It's not enforceable. It's a perfect recipe for a lot of corruption. Uh, and I think it's about giving away more powers and the most dangerous thing with all of this is precedence. Mm-hmm. It's not just that we have given these powers and created a precedent for COVID. You have created this precedent so that in future, people are going to invoke this and create passports for all kinds of things. Right? And you don't want that kind of a precedence uh, you know, going forward. So in the in light of immediate fear, Right. So we cannot create structures and systems that will harm us in future. And that's something that we need to be very vigilant about. Mm. All right. So now let's start taking questions. So so I guess Brijesh had asked a question when we were talking about media. There are a lot of questions about the media. So, so I'm just going to read them out. So uh, how is this responsible for public health communication? What the hell is the media doing? And then somebody had actually followed it up and said, um, why should incorrect and misleading media reports be let off scot-free? Shouldn't Indian law have such reporters arrested and tried under sedition? Now, I think that's a little bit... See, this is the problem with India. We either have one side where we have uh, a type of intention and the other side, we are like, Inko sabko jail mein so how do we balance it out, Ram? Yeah. I think, uh, like I said, it's a very simple task to accomplish, but the incentives are not aligned, right? So Mm -hmm. in the immediate future, I think it would be great for public to know that journalists are not working in their interest, that these are commercial organizations working Mm -hmm. with a profit motive. And that's not going to change, right? So you're not going to have like Doordarshan motive. one way of changing is that if there is a, a kind of a regular briefing that happens on a day, day-to-day basis where a respectable figure who knows how to communicate, I think that's very, very critical. You have a lot of ministers and public health people who don't know how to communicate, who can communicate in an empathetic manner with public, uh, start dispelling some of these things and that if that happens as a routine feature at the same time in you know in languages people kind of understand that would be a good thing so you need to have a counter kind of an effort on a day to day basis uh, which has to have certain pre- preemptive quality to it because we know what the next story is going to be like this vaccine uh, story the tweet that you mentioned i mean anybody would have predicted this I've I've been tweeting about this all the while. I mean, these are very predictable things. It's not like these are like like evil geniuses, right? So you know where their head is and you know where these stories are going to come from. Oh, yeah. So so I think some level of preemptive communication needs to happen. And uh, and therefore, as trust starts eroding from many of these journalists, uh, then you might have uh, a new incentive, which is the old incentive of, you know, I want to be a trustworthy journalist. 
as opposed to be a journalist, you know, who gets the most amount of clicks. I mean, like prosecution and then that turns villains into heroes, you know. They're, uh, suddenly this guy gets to play the martyr and then uh, as a nation, we don't have that capacity to prosecute all these people. It's like needless distraction. Uh, you're much better off preempting, preempting some of these things and communicating with transparency and trust and empathy um, and calling out some of these things, you know. Uh, so so this, this yeah. follow-up question is even better. Then Tanmay says, when the public relations of the government does, does such a pathetic job of information dissipation, especially with regards to such efficacy data, what can you expect from an extremely biased, <laughs> non-credible Indian media? I mean, I'm telling you, Tanmay has hit the nail on the head here. That is spot on. When you have such a nikhid the government, why do you expect anything else from your media that already hates the government? Yeah, I mean, it's like devil in the deep sea. But yeah, look at the same politicians, right? So they're so great at election campaigning, right? I mean, they're, most of their speeches are well-researched, right? So between a one-hour helicopter ride between town A and town B, mm -hmm. right? A politician gets a talking point, he comes to your town and talk about the issues in that town, and they can talk for an hour, uh, and they can connect greatly, right? So there's a great amount of resonance but when it comes to public health, they're like fish out of water, right? Again, like I said, these are things any government needs to prepare. They don't take a lot of time. They don't take a lot of effort. You can test a lot of these things in real time with, you know, given our internet penetration and social media. I could put out a message and test how, you know, are people comprehending it? Do they find it effective? Like at eight in the morning and have something out you know, uh, uh, later in the day, I mean, you should have the equivalent of the IT cells for public health. <laughs> I mean, they can churn out content very quickly. If a politician says something stupid, within an hour, you have a video, right? So why can't you have the same thing for public health? Uh, uh, it's, to my mind, it's not a thing of skill or resources as much as, you know, attention. Uh, and it's something that we should demand from the government if not, then some vested interest will fill that vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. And it will be like another YouTuber uh, uh, crackpot who would make things worse, right? I mean, yeah, the, uh, I know. I know one crackpot in India who sits outside India. So do you think absolute numbers in case of countries like India and China is a nonsense metric? Uh, the correct metric should be per 100 or per 1,000 inhabitants. What What's your thought? Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I think there are two dimensions to it, right? So, one when you're communicating, right? So you you can't look at human life just as numbers, right? So every death is a tragedy, and I, I think you come across as you know, uh, really cold and unempathetic when you say, you know, our numbers are not that high. I think one, we have to recognize that every life uh, is important, but base rate fallacy, right? The point that you're making is, is again, one of those classic things where, like we said, percentage of what, thousand of what, you know, it's not something that we ask, right? So when, when you look at say data on say John Hopkins or Voldemeters, right? You only see the absolute numbers. 
and you don't see the base rate. So if you go and see the base rate, so the fatalities of US say, per million in states like New York would be and something like 1700 for India, it would be 150. It's a significantly low number. So I think when communicating, therefore, uh, you know, using the base always helps from a policy making, from taking steps, right? So you could say that, oh my God, there are a thousand deaths here. Of course, in a country of a billion people, is it too many? Uh, but there are other metrics too that we track in terms of hospitalization. The other thing to see is that where is it happening, right? I mean, if it's happening in a highly concentrated manner, right? So there's no point saying there are a thousand people dying across India. If 500 of those are happening in Pune, right? So your base rate has to be relevant and you have to track some of the other, you know, leading indicators like hospitalization, hospitalization from a policy point of view. But again, uh, these absolute numbers, that's a classic mistake journalists keep making all the time saying, uh, India has the highest number of cases in the world today. True, but what's our population, right? Uh, again, uh, there are a lot of good journalists who torture data and take data points that are most convenient uh, to their story, right? So that's another thing to kind of bear, bear in mind. So this one even I'm not really aware of. So why on scientists not discussing most important risk factor that is metabolic syndrome in relation to COVID? One third of the population is metabolically unhealthy. Instead, guidelines don't have any restriction on carbohydrates. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, I know the I Indian see. diet in general is slightly carb heavy. But as far as I'm concerned, the only single correlation causation that I have been able to find when it comes to deaths and COVID has been obviously you need uh, two 2.2 on an average comorbidity, those people are much more probable to die and vitamin D deficiency. I have not heard of anything else, at least in my yeah. That's a great question, actually. <laughs> uh, metabolic syndrome in the sense that think of, let's say, insulin resistance and diabetes, right? So early on, I think in May or some of 2020, there was a very interesting study uh, done on mortality among diabetics. Diabet you know, diabetics uh, whose uh, sugar levels or A1C uh, is well controlled or poorly controlled, right? So this is a great study. So the risk of dying from COVID, if you have uh, controlled diabetes, uh, is say one in a hundred, and the risk of dying with diabetes, and if you have uncontrolled, you know, uh, diabetes, is ten in hundred. The risk is tenfold. So both are diabetics. One has his sugar control, sugar levels controlled. One does not. And I, I was tweeting then saying we should be communicating this to all the diabetes patients in the world, saying, "Hey, here is a real incentive for you to bring your sugar levels down. Right? You may be at high risk, but if you control this, right, so you have a real opportunity to kind of uh, escape death." And I think there is ample data in the U.S. that talks about, I think, whether it's two-thirds, I think, of all the people who died, uh, an underlying condition is, uh, is obesity. Uh, but again, thanks to our PC culture, nobody wants to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so instead of like, asking people to go out, get a walk, eat better, like lower stress and manage your diabetes, we've, we have not focused on the things. 
like someone said there is a fast pandemic and there's a slow pandemic the fast pandemic mm-hmm. is covid and the slow pandemic is you know all these metabolic kind of issues and mm-hmm. i think there's a real opportunity to drive home some of those uh, those messages but again we were so focused on certain aspects of it and ignored many of these underlying factors where some real gains and long term gains could have been made Mm. So a uh, good good follow up point so mortality rate of vietnam is probably the least because it is the most least obese country in the world on the other hand us is the most obese <laughs> you know the data but yeah. see bugsy you have to understand now i'm going to uh, get into my social justice activist mode uh, you have to support the body positivity mode uh, movement mm-hmm. right how dare you fat shame people and let me tell you and uh, now on a serious note yes obesity is a huge problem as someone who was obese till 2016 i don't know how many times i've said this please lose weight it fundamentally changed my life at an individual level so i am begging all of you believe me i lost uh, more than you know when i had lost the my peak weight from 96 kilos i went down to 67 kilos i cannot explain how how good it feels please please take it seriously what uh, another person has asked this question is it true that companies like serum institute are facing production shortages now tanmay uh, before uh, i you know i put it pass it on to ram i just want to put this on record you have to understand what what do you mean by production shortages there is always going to be a manufacturing constraint right again you have to take this in perspective look india anyways manufactures 70% of the entire world's vaccines of all types so i mean you we can't expect 1.4 billion people or 1 billion people to get a shot in their ass the first day itself come on let's get real and on top of that we have such humongous vaccine hesitancy so now that i have said that ram do you have any points to add on both these questions yeah i mean on obesity i think we both have rights i'm i'm still fat but i lost the obesity tag during the pandemic Uh, I, I lost something like seventy pounds. I I need to lose thirty more. Uh, but I think the, there's no shame in I think telling people that they need to lose weight. I think all this body positivity, putting obese people on you know covers of magazines, you at the very least you can't celebrate it. I I understand that it's very hard to lose weight. Uh, it's not easy. But uh, I mean most things in life are hard. <laughs> I mean, nothing comes easy. If that is your excuse, then I mean, you don't even want to get out of the bed, right? It's so easy to kind of uh, sleep through. Uh, but I think this is something that people are needlessly worried about. Something that we should level with public and tell them that not just in the short term, but in the long term, uh, this has I mean, a lot of good benefits, right? So you reduce the burden on healthcare system. One of the reasons insurance is so expensive in this country is that. you know we are so obese in, um, in the us and therefore it's a huge burden on 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 the healthcare system even in india i mean the number of people who have diabetes is is huge and uh, that's a crisis kind of that's uh, staring at us this was a great opportunity to kind of drive home the point on uh, on reducing you know both near term and long term risks uh, we can't let all this pc nonsense uh, 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 harm public health. Uh, that's what we have done, right? So we have traded off uh, 
पॉलिटिकल करेक्टनेस फॉर पब्लिक हेल्थ on production shortages like i said there is no real incentive for any government or any business to produce less than what they can right i mean there is no for them it's it's incentive to kind of uh, their incentives are aligned with producing more vaccines and distributing more vaccines india as the leading producer of vaccines in fact there is a lot of bs reporting saying india doesn't invest in vaccine research people should go and read up uh, on cepi you know uh, this is center for epidemic preparedness i think in 2017 india is one of the few countries along with norway who joined hands with you know the bill and melinda gates foundation and welcome trust to invest in new vaccines nobody wants to invest in vaccines it's a very very high risk proposition it uh, i think by their estimates it takes something like 3 billion dollars to get a vaccine candidate into the market and if you think of all the vaccines that came into the market earlier for SARS or MERS by the time the vaccine came the pandemic was over and therefore you know as a business if you are developing vaccines you are taking huge amount of risk right why do we think we got this vaccine so quick it's because the rich countries started getting affected with covid right if it's a poor countries there wouldn't have been enough money uh, to develop a vaccine this fast right so it took like 10 years for the ebola vaccine to come in and so therefore you have to understand that a vaccine development and manufacturing pipeline is not this highly incentivized uh, seamless uh, thing that's been happening right very few large pharma companies are interested in vaccines right even if people keep talking about pfizer which actually biontech that developed the vaccine right yeah pfizer pfizer kind of joined hands you don't have like many large pharma companies a uh, lot of neglected diseases right so how many new vaccines have we seen coming in very few countries interested in vaccines so therefore i think uh if india can't produce enough vaccines nobody can i think there is some noise about you know uh, some ingredients that need to come from you know some of the western nations uh, that may be holding back but uh, i don't see any reason why uh, serum institute would want to produce less than uh what it is able to produce uh there are other compounding issues i think there's been some serious tragedy here in the us with the jnj vaccine mm-hmm. i think they mi- mixed up some ingredients that affected some supply i think uh there is another company in india which i think through quad partnership is producing something like 700 800 million doses mm-hmm. uh but again unfortunately we are in this scenario where we need more than what we have uh just have to kind of hope that uh, we start making much more at least as much as we can distribute all right so again now that we have spoken about diet so now this live stream has become a diet stream so uh, did you do a low carb diet to lose weight kushal to be very honest mr lee uh, you asked this question my diet was very simple i just started eating less of what i used to eat so i honestly did not change a lot i would just eat less and i would walk 10 to 12000 steps at that time and then later on i'd play some badminton and then i started doing some weight training and stuff like that but i really did not do anything else there's another follow up question from tanvi he says with a bmi of 33 i wear three masks not good 
<laughs> at a time where i can assume i could even live on mars as i could hardly breathe <laughs> but other gym goers have contracted covid twice so is comorbidity really a correct metric or measure no uh, tanmay please realize that because you have been masking very well that is one of the single largest factor that uh, you are protected from covid uh, please do not assume comor uh, obesity not to be a, a, a factor obesity is a major factor so please take that very seriously uh, ram uh, on to you yeah on the weight loss thing uh, my simple thing was a classic uh, explore and exploit what works mm-hmm. for one doesn't work for others so i i started exploring different methods and when i found the one that works for me i exploited it in my case it was one meal a day i just eat dinner and that's it nothing else uh, and i don't feel hungry during the day but that's a longer conversation on the other question again this is a classic thing of risk framing right it doesn't mean that just because you are obese you will get it doesn't mm. mean that you are obese you will get it and you will die you have a higher risk of you know a serious outcome if you get it so you are no more or no less uh, at risk of getting it uh, and it's possible that in some people's case they might be able to fight off the infection and again really good doctors know how how to frame it i'll tell a very very quick story my sure. elder son when he was 2 uh, uh, he he had to go through a complicated you know surgery on his small intestine right so after the surgery happened the junior surgeon came to me and said yeah you know there is a 99% chance that you know it's fine there is a 1% chance that you, he may need a corrective surgery right the, the senior surgeon was a brilliant guy came to me and said you know let me say that in different words he said of the 100 surgeries we do one child needs a corrective surgery so it does not mean that your son has a 99% Uh, chance of not needing a second surgery is that he could be in that one out of hundred, or he could be in the ninety-nine out of hundred. And just as luck would have it, my son was one in that hundred. He needed a corrective surgery uh, mm-hmm. three six months down the line. If I had seen that ninety-nine percent chance, I would have been very upset when he needed a corrective surgery. But the risk was framed better. So it, I mean, of course, nobody wants their child to go through surgery. but at least i didn't curse the doctor <laughs> for misinforming me and so therefore in this case i think uh uh you have to be careful obviously if you have uh, you know comorbidities but again i would strongly urge instead of three masks uh, lose the three bmi Oh yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more with you, Ram. All right, guys. I think uh, you know we've almost touched an hour and a half mark, so I want to wrap things up. But before I wrap things up, just want to leave a last few comments. You know, first of all, uh, I want to thank Ram for once again coming on the podcast and and you know sharing his uh, you know uh, views with us. It is always a pleasure. uh you know ram to talk to you because you uh, you tend to explain things uh, far better than i do because you're more calm than i am i just get excited so thanks a lot once again glad to be here for all those who joined uh, thank you for your time i hope it was uh, worth it okay guys so just a few passing comments once again please if you know someone who is 45 years and above and does not have any major serious condition that 
disallows them or makes them you know not valid to get a vaccination please encourage people to get a vaccine try and understand the vaccines work so i will frame this in this way so, you know there is this famous advertisement that we had meri kameez teri kameez se safed hai so let me tell you why i am calling this uh, uh, you know recalling this ad so nowadays you know you will have this kind weird kind of uh, you know uh, mentions on twitter and facebook that oh you know what the pfizer vaccine efficiency is 94% you know what the moderna vaccine efficiency is 92% you know what covi shield is 81% you know what co vaccine of bharat biotech is 86% like i said this is all meri kameez teri kameez se safed hai because that while it matters should not be our primary concern you know what matters what is the mortality rate after you are vaccinated and what is your chances of developing any morbidity post covid because of the infection after you catch it and in those departments each and every vaccine that has been tested up till now and the data is very robust till now that you get almost 98% plus and in case of mortality as good as 100% protection so you know what it doesn't matter if you get a pfizer doesn't matter if you get a johnson and johnson it doesn't matter as of now take the vaccine that is available to you once you have a variety of vaccines in the market then you can get into this discussion of meri kameez teri kameez se safed hai mere biceps 13 inch hain tere biceps 11 inch hai until then just get what you have it does not matter the vaccines are safe try and understand that if out of 7 crore covishield shots in india if less than 100 people develop blood clots it is not a serious problem do you know your probabilities of dying from covid are far more than you developing blood shots blood clots from getting the vaccine so try and develop that rationality in you look around you it is our moral responsibility to make sure that more and more people get vaccinated as far as our company is concerned the moment the 45 plus category was announced i made sure everybody in my company gets vaccinated well, with most of them uh, you know just telling them look it's good for you worked well a couple of people it did not i said i'll fire you if you don't get vaccinated lo and behold they got vaccinated then but i still did not need to use the nuclear option of i'll fire you with most of them more than 95% of the people who are eligible for the vaccine just took it when i told look it's good for you go and get it and i just used the doctors not dying analogy so once again today's podcast was just to let you understand that numbers can be complicated do not fall for clickbait headlines every time you see a moronic tweet from a journalist or from an organization that says well you know you got covid because of the vaccine it doesn't matter look at the severity of the disease and that's where the reality lies so please please make sure everybody gets vaccinated i'll end today's podcast on that note and i'll request all of you to like the video comment on it subscribe to the channel if you can support the podcast become a member of the channel or support the podcast on patreon you can also support uh, the podcast by sending direct donations to the upi id and buying the charwak podcast merch i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care goodbye